Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Today on the Bell Tale, just what exactly is the Northern Ireland Protocol? The Protocol is the biggest threat to the Union in my lifetime, which is stripping away our membership of the United Kingdom and is pushing us off the window ledge of the Union. It dominates the airwaves. It was the big issue of the election campaign. It brought down Stormont. Holding this office is one that comes with a heavy responsibility. Our institutions are being tested once again by the agreement made by the United Kingdom government and the European Union, which created the Northern Ireland Protocol. It has seen street protests, even rioting. But many seem confused about what exactly they're annoyed about. I don't think young people really understand the details in terms of the Irish sea border and stuff. I think what they're being told is that Sinn Féin are winning, the Republicans are winning, um, and that our identity is under attack. I have to be honest, perhaps like you, I struggle to understand the protocol. I couldn't explain what it is, but I am joined by two people who could. The Belfast Telegraph's Northern Ireland editor Sam McBride and our business editor Margaret Canning. So welcome, Sam. Welcome, Margaret, to the studio. Thanks for coming in uh, and doing this for us today. So here's your challenge. Can you explain to me and the person on the street just what is the Northern Ireland Protocol? You've got 60 seconds. Margaret, you go first, starting from now. It's an agreement between the UK and EU which keeps Northern Ireland in the European Union's single market for goods. That has the effect of avoiding a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, resulting from Brexit. A hard border would have been politically toxic. It could have led to lots of trouble and attacks on the border. So it was a plan to avoid that by introducing special rules on trade between the uh, EU and Northern Ireland. It's had the effect of introducing checks on goods coming into Northern Ireland. Have I talked past the 60 seconds? I don't think you've done it. I think you've beaten the challenge. I think you've <laughs> No, I challenge. hadn't finished. I thought because you were holding up the phone, <laughs> I had to. All right, OK. So basically, it's had the effect of avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland, but introducing checks on goods coming from Great Britain into Northern Ireland. That's created a lot of problems for companies in Northern Ireland and Great Britain. 
Well, Sam, top that. I do, I top that. So it's a document which was agreed between Boris Johnson's British government and the European Union. It's 63 pages, and as Margaret says, it succeeds in avoiding a hard border for goods on the island of Ireland. Um, but it does that at the expense of creating a new border for goods um, coming into Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK, from Great Britain. So by solving one problem, it basically makes a, a different problem. It, in effect, keeps Northern Ireland in the EU single market for goods, um, and that means that Northern Ireland still has to follow lots of European legislation, which the rest of the UK does not. There are checks on goods coming into Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK, but the significant element of this is that it's a one-way border, so it's only about goods coming into Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK. It's not about checking goods going out of Northern Ireland. Some companies can benefit from that, but other companies and consumers are suffering from that because they might not be able to get what they got before coming across from the rest of the UK. Well, I think that's us for today. Thanks very much for coming <laughs> in, folks. But, but seriously, there's a, there's a lot, obviously, to use a cliche, there's a lot to unpack there. I suppose, in a way, it is a bit of a fudge because the problem of avoiding a border, a hard border on the island of Ireland was so difficult. Nobody could see a clear way forward. There were lots of proposals about technological solutions, but those never materialised. They were never closely enough examined for a solution to be found. But it is more than an obscure political document because it is something that has already been subject to a lot of discussion, a lot of loosening of the rules. In fact, the rules of the Northern Ireland Protocol aren't being applied. In theory, the Northern Ireland Protocol would mean that you couldn't send Great Britain, Great British sausages from Great Britain to Northern Ireland because they are prepared raw meat preparations, which you can't bring into the European Union from a third country. But we have a grace period, which means that the rules aren't being applied. So we're kind of in a little bit of a protocol limbo where we're getting a little bit of the protocol. And even that little bit is causing an awful lot of political controversy and difficulty. And one of the one of the aspects of this is that I think none of us outside of a very small percentage of the population who have to think about trade and trade rules and the complexity of globalization and how a product flows maybe three, four times across the world, maybe a fish is caught somewhere in the uh, out, out in the ocean in the, the North Atlantic. It's then taken to Scotland. It's maybe flown to China where some of the processing takes place and maybe it comes back here. Maybe it's combined in a fish finger with fish that was caught somewhere else. Um, there, there is incredible complexity to this. Most of us don't have to think about this because we just go to the supermarket, the stuff's there, we pay whatever the price is, and that's it. And what this has, I think, done for a lot of us, me included, um, is to force us to understand at least some of the complexity of what trade means for our lives. So this might seem very boring and very bland, and frankly, a lot of it is exceptionally boring. It's dull beyond belief, but actually it has an impact. So for instance, I'm a gardener, um, and as soon as the Northern Ireland Protocol came, um, I was unable to get lots of stuff that I was getting from seed companies in the rest of the UK. Um, I couldn't get bare root apple trees. Um, that might sound incredibly irrelevant, but when you multiply that thousands of times into all sorts of areas, you get a sense of how this has the potential to disrupt trade and also how there is a juxtaposition here um, between politics and between trade. Laws are set and those laws have real impacts on us and suddenly Northern Ireland is bound by laws over which our politicians don't have any say. And that, of course, is exactly the position under the protocol that Northern Ireland is in. Other people's laws, foreign laws, 
that govern the foreign single market and foreign customs code and foreign VAT regime that the protocol puts us under are imposed on Northern Ireland with no say, no right to change or amend. We remember the backstop. What happened to the backstop? Brexit deal, all of these terms which seemed to be in vogue, other terms we didn't understand either in general. And then we came to the Northern Ireland Protocol. How did we get to this point and who supported it? Well, in very simple terms, if we strip away a lot of what happened over those years, we had a situation where once Brexit happened, you had a Northern Irish border of, what, 310 miles or whatever it is. Um, it had been there for about 95 years. Um, there had been a very complicated history to it, but it had largely become invisible to people driving across it. It still existed. There was a currency border. There was a regulatory border. There were different rules and taxation and all sorts of things. But when we drove across it as citizens, of Northern Ireland or people were coming the other way as citizens of the Irish Republic, they didn't really notice it. The road markings changed, the speed limits changed, but it, but it really didn't have much direct impact on them. And suddenly Brexit was a great disruptor here. Not only Brexit, but the fact that the British government wanted to pursue a type of Brexit that meant it was going to have a much cleaner break with the European Union. So it was going to be a harder form of Brexit. They were going to leave the customs union. Um, that has implications for customs duties between the EU and the, the UK outside the uh, European Union. Union and they were going to leave the single market. That has implications for regulatory standards. So the problem here for the EU from their perspective was that you could have a scenario where Britain suddenly decides we're going to drop our standards on toys or whatever it might be and these are going to flood across into the single market. The whole point of the single market is that once you're in the single market there are no checks. So goods that get into the Irish Republic can go anywhere within the rest of um, of, of the European continent which is within the European Union and that was going to be a massive problem for them. It was going to be a, a, a backdoor into their market. So there had to be some form of stopping that happening. And as Margaret has said, over a very long period, nobody could come up with something that could satisfy both sides until we got to the protocol. So are we saying, Margaret, then this was necessary, even inevitable? I think some fix or some fudge was required because Brexit really upended not just the UK's relationship with the EU but Northern Ireland's relationship with the Republic as the only part of the UK with a land border with the EU and it raised so many it inadvertently raised so many questions of identity for nationalists who I mean Northern Ireland having voted against Brexit it had the result of Northern Northern Irish nationalists feeling, well, we like being members of the EU. It helped us resign ourselves to being nationalists who are maybe quite happy with being part of the United Kingdom because we've got the almost added cover of being EU citizens. So it raised a lot of questions like that. But the irony is that the protocol, it, it settled some of that, but of course it's raised even more toxic and even more controversial issues of identity for unionists. So it, 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 in a way, it maybe made a bad situation worse. And the problem it's created is that we can't really judge fairly whether or not it's working for Northern Ireland or whether or not it is increasing prosperity, because everyone's seeing it through the prism of, of green or orange. So it's really hard to just as to just define whether or not it's good for Northern Ireland because it's just too controversial. Plus, we don't have the up-to-date figures on how it's helping or not helping us. 
I think it's very important, as Margaret says, to see this as two separate issues almost. You've got the issue of trade and trade rules and what this means for businesses, what it means for consumers, all the practical implications of being inside or outside the European Union. But that was never the real debate here. The real debate was about what this meant for how people felt in Northern Ireland about their national identity. Was this inevitable? Um, I don't think anything in life um, beyond death and taxes are necess- is, is necessarily um, completely inevitable. But once Brexit happened, it disturbed that equilibrium that had existed. So there was going to be a problem here. How it was going to be resolved, I don't think inevitably had to be the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. This was something that was cooked up. Um, it could have been something different. It's ultimately going to be something different. Um, so this, this was something that was put in place because there was a lack of agreement on anything else. But there was going to be this fundamental problem. People felt as nationalists in Northern Ireland that they had been brought out of the European Union against their will. That was factually correct, that they, they were being brought out against their will. And they were seeing the Irish border, which they which they always detested, which they objected to for ideological reasons, for reasons of, of their identity, being hardened. That was going, uh, that, w- that was putting the process that had existed after the Good Friday Agreement into reverse. It wasn't actually against the Good Friday Agreement in terms of the strict reading of what it says, and that was litigated in Belfast High Court, um, and that was that was that was found by a judge to not be against the strict reading of it. But it was against what people expected it meant, and it was against what they felt um, their identity was was moving things towards, m- making this an island where whether you were in the north or in the south, it didn't matter so much. Suddenly, it was going to matter an awful lot more. So politically, some say this is no less than an economic united Ireland. So that's that's what Jim Allister says, the TV leader, the most hardline unionist leader in Northern Ireland. And to a certain extent, he has, I suppose, dragged the other unionist leaders onto his territory over the last 18 months or so. Um, we had the DUP initially under Arlene Foster when the protocol started in January 2021. She was talking about a, a, a gateway of opportunity. She had made clear a few months before that that there were, there were people who would fight against this, who would try to overturn it. She didn't like it. She'd argued against it. She really had good ideological reasons to say I don't want a new border within the United Kingdom but she had accepted that she'd lost and she said I'm not really in that camp and we're going to move on we're going to try to make the best of this essentially and the DUP has moved on this I think partly because they really exposed that they didn't understand what they were talking about they they, they didn't grasp the complexity of this they didn't really um, know the way in which this was going to be implemented in Northern Ireland and once that started and once for instance some of their voters started seeing various items not appearing on supermarket shelves. They started seeing parcels not coming from other parts of the UK, particularly from smaller companies, not from the big companies like Amazon, for instance, who can deal with the red tape, who can deal with the um, the uh, added bureaucracy around this. But there was a lack of there was there was a lack of understanding there that was exposed, and there was a weakness for the DUP because they had been at the heart of Brexit. They had pushed for a harder form of Brexit that made this much more likely, and so they were very exposed here. So I think that there there was a reversal by them under pressure. Um, some of that, I think, um, has not yet fully been seen because, as Margaret says, we're actually not really seeing the protocol yet. We're seeing a sort of um, semi-skimmed version of it. Um, we're nowhere near the full fat version of it. I think we probably won't ever get there. Um, but if we did, it would be very unpopular, I think, across communities in Northern Ireland because there would be enormous practical implications. There is at the heart of this document an extraordinary complexity. If you read through the 63 pages of this, you don't see, for instance, that um, chilled meats, as Margaret 
said in, in terms of um, British sausages coming across the border um, from Sainsbury's or Tesco or whatever it might be are banned from coming into Northern Ireland. What it does say is that there is a certain European regulation that applies. You then go to that regulation, which is very lengthy and which is very complicated. You don't even see there that they're banned from Northern Ireland. What you see is that they're banned from third countries. And as, as Britain is now defined by the European Union, Britain is now a third country. So it's incredibly complicated, even for people in sectors and industries. When you go and talk to them, and often what I find is that these, these people, particularly in the early days of this, were really struggling to get their heads around precisely what this meant for them. They were getting very clever lawyers to look at this. And even after that, there was an element of uncertainty about what it meant. Well, Sam, I'm very glad that you've read those 63 pages <laughs> for me because I still don't fully understand yeah. them. I have to admit, they're, they're not on my bedside table. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we're in the position, because it's too early to say, perhaps, yeah. could can we fact check the claim? Is this a, an economic United Ireland or can we dismiss that? Or is, is there I, an analysis well, there? Well, I, I think we can dismiss it because... Sam, we were all chatting just before recording began and Sam was making the point that the protocol means Northern Ireland is still in the single market for goods. But in fact, the European Union amounts to so much more and the single market also covers capital, freedom of movement, services. So our our sphere of EU involvement is limited to goods. But unfortunately, that does then acquire significance because that means physical checks on those uh, goods coming into ports. So I fear there's an element of toxicity to being part of the European Union single market for goods that maybe doesn't match the reality and doesn't match the certain benefits there are or the there is some albeit disputed evidence, that it has brought evidence to it. For example, we're very much a region with a strong agricultural sector and lots of Northern Irish dairy farmers have their milk processed by dairy dairy co-ops in the Republic. That free flow of milk across the border is permitted precisely because of the Northern Ireland Protocol. If there had been a hard border, that would have had to stop, but the protocol enables that milk to continue to flow from lots of farmers in the border areas. Yet I would be aware of some people who would attend the protocol rallies and get fired up who themselves are working in agriculture and who themselves wouldn't be able to fulfil their jobs if it wasn't for the Northern Ireland Protocol because they work in the dairy sector. And I think that reflects a lack of education about the protocol and about the benefits and also about the downsides and what we were all being signed up to when that agreement was concluded. Some some economists who have looked at this, um, Sumea Keynes is one of those from The Economist magazine, um, have looked at the figures and basically when you drill into some of the data here, it's very complicated and it's very hard to disaggregate out what happened because of COVID and what happened because of the protocol. There is a situation where trade um, in goods across the island of Ireland has shot up very significantly. There's, there's really no argument about that. But when you look at the detail of that, a lot of it is to do with pharmaceuticals, um, a lot of it is to do with plastics, and there is at least the potential the 
very significant potential that a lot of that is, is to do with COVID. It's to, it's to do with vaccines going across the border, which are small in um, number and small in quantity, but are very significant in terms of value and so therefore skew the figures. And also plastics in terms of things like dividers and offices, all of that sort of stuff, which are very significant. But I think that even if we accept for the sake of argument that there is economic reunification happening on the island of Ireland, and even if that's where this goes in the long term, does that mean, as Jim Allister says, that the constitutional unification is an inevitable consequence? He says, basically, look at the EU. It started off as an economic project, and ultimately you really needed all these structures to keep pace with what was happening in in in, in the uh, sort of real economy. I think that that's, that's too simplistic a view of why people don't vote for Irish unity right now. People who feel their identity is British largely don't do that because of where they buy their goods from. They do it because of family, history, identity, a sense of, what, of where their um, values come from, whatever it might be. That is a, a much deeper thing than simply about um, where they buy from. But I think that what we can say is that if the protocol um, lasts and if it really lasts in anything like its current form, over time, Britain and Ireland are going to diverge significantly. The whole point of Brexit was for Britain to change its rules. There's no point leaving if you keep everything the same. And every time Britain changes rules in areas that are covered by the protocol, they impact in Northern Ireland. The, the Irish Sea border gets starker and Northern Ireland becomes closer to the rest of the island. And Jim Allister would say that's anti-democratic. So can we explain how our laws are made? Because some people might be might think that's important also. Well, there's a massive problem here democratically, I think. I mean, I think one of the unfortunate things here is that people have got into almost tribes here, green or orange, for or against the protocol. Um, I, I, I should say clearly there that there, there are lots of people here in the other category in Northern Ireland, people who vote for the Alliance Party, the Green Party or whatever, who are not um, in any way nationalist, but who are very supportive of the protocol, who are very opposed to um, Brexit. But I think that they, they sometimes, um, on both sides of this debate, really look at this in simplistic terms. As Margaret has said, there are people who are anti this, who actually it might help them in terms of their jobs, or people who are pro it, who actually it might um, cause difficulties for them. When you look at how rules are set in Northern Ireland, laws are set, the laws by which businesses are going to have to um, uh, structure their businesses and by which consumers are going to be impacted, a lot of those are now not going to be set in Northern Ireland. They're not going to be set in London, they're not going to be set in Dublin, they're going to be set in Brussels. That was always the case when we were in the European Union, but we did elect three MEPs. We had um, European commissioners that were sent there by the British government it's a, it's, a, it's a very small um, part of the UK, Northern Ireland. It's about 3%, so we had a pretty limited um, uh, level of influence over that. But it was a principle, I suppose, that we had a democratic say in that, proportionate to our size. We now have no say whatsoever. We can go there and lobby. Um, if you're a business owner and you don't like something that's coming down the line, you can go there, you can hire a lobbyist, you can hire a lawyer, you can say, this is going to be bad for us. There are structures through the protocol that you can make your voice heard. But you don't actually have a democratic say in that. I think that is a really profound problem with this. It's something that some supporters of the protocol now say is something they want to try to address but it's very difficult to see how you can address that really in a democratic way by letting us elect people without basically showing that Northern Ireland hasn't really left the European Union. We're still significantly in it. So there is a conundrum there that I think has not yet been solved. Though I suppose on that point Northern Ireland remains part of, well technically part of an aspect of the European Union and indeed had voted for that state so is that maybe our compensation in a way? Though I know, of course, it's no, it's, it's insulting to unionists because it is eroding their identity. But is it a little bit of a sop to Northern well, Ireland in a sense because is. we did vote to remain? But then again, eroding those links 
with the UK is in no way a, a healthy place to be for for any of us. There's no there's there's no question that the decision to have the protocol was taken democratically. There's also no no question that Northern Ireland voted to remain. So if the protocol is as close as we were able to get, then that is as close as to what the people of Northern Ireland voted for at that point. I think the problem becomes that over time, um, we don't know what the rules are going to be in 10 years' time or in 50 years' time. So there was a one-off decision mm-hmm. that we might have liked the protocol, we might have liked the European Union, but the European Union in 50 years' time is going to be very different to that and we will have no say over individual aspects of it. So yes, it was democratic um, in many ways for the protocol to be put in place. It was voted on by Westminster. It was endorsed by a, general, um, a, a British general election. There's, there's, there's no way you can argue against that. But how do we influence individual laws? We don't have any way to vote in that democratically. Sam McBride, the Northern Ireland editor for the Belfast Telegraph, and Margaret Canning, the business editor for the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by me, Kieran Dunbar, with sound design by Graham Davidson. The clips were from PA, The Stormont Assembly, Al Jazeera, UTV and Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.